Hello and welcome to We've Got History Between Us. We have reached the final part of episode 9. This episode was split into seven sections, all of which were designed to make sense if you listen to standalone episodes or take things out of order. We do, however, recommend that if you're jumping in here, that you go back to the past six parts of episode 9 to understand fully the University Histories Project and the work that the interns undertook. Everyone who's joined us on this seven-part journey so far knows that this episode has been about an internship project from 2021, one that the CRC hopes will continue into the future with a set of new interns and new objectives as this project develops. In this episode, Lorraine and I discuss descriptive metadata, or more specifically for this context, what goes into an archival record. You'll be able to tell quite quickly that for the remainder of this episode, we're wrapping up. Lorraine looks back on what these interns have achieved, and I asked Samantha and Ashling to give advice to their hypothetical successors. Mm. I'm realising now, would you be able to just, for the audience, just perhaps if they're not that kind of well-versed in, in the archival context, to give a few words on what metadata would typically include? Yeah, for, for an archival record specifically, mm. um, so with an archival catalogue, uh, the way that it functions or its foundational structure is hierarchical. So you want to, like I said before, go from the general to the specific or the collection level description or title down to the more granular level, you know, a correspondence file or, or a single letter or whatever it is. So within your catalogue resource or your uh, collection level record, you have a number of series which then describe the different categories within that collection that might be relevant to a researcher's work. Whether it's collection level, covering hundreds and hundreds of metres of, of, of boxes of material, or it's single letter, the metadata for an archival record consists of the same fields. Um, many of them are uh, not mandatory, only a few are mandatory and I think it's six six fields are mandatory, six or seven, but basically it's a, a reference code, a title, a level, which says what level the material is at within the collection, dates, creators, scope and content. <coughs> missing one out there, I think, but <laughs> basically these, these um, uh, five or six tree fields will give a basic structure that creates an archival record and mm. everything else is extra. If we don't have, you know, an identifying code, a title for the material level where it's placed and dates, uh, for example, we can't really be uh, secure and uh, definite in its identification. But once we have that, those things down, we can then start to build on the record, so giving it a, a deeper scope and content or an archivist's note around any comments to do with the material, its status in terms of whether it's it's access restricted or any reasons behind that, its ownership, its administrative history, and like we were talking about before, what other materials or collections it might be related to that are really, really important to understanding that specific collection. So in in creating the internship project reviews that all three of the internships looked at. I'm not sure how, for example, central it was to project two and three that they used the reviews in the same way as project one did. But crucially, we wanted to have those 
basic mandatory archival field included when records were found so that if this was our only chance to make a description, to create a description for previously uncatalogued material, then we've got the basics and then we can go back to a later date and create something more substantial. But yeah, for metadata in, in archives, identifying materials uniquely and uh, confidently is, is uh, the number one reason behind those, those metadata fields. I've just thought of the last one, it's extent. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> you passed the test. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it's just how much time it takes. You know, people have to be realistic about the goals that can be achieved in a certain time frame when it comes to how many decades it would take to catalogue the material in, in the CRC alone. Well, yeah, I mean, we actually have a report on that. That <laughs> was the impetus behind the creation of my post and our cataloging archivist Anine's post and another post that came out of the rationalisation project. But there's a, a really credible uh, archives consultant named Janice Tullock working with other uh, consultants collections around the UK. And in 2016, Janice did a, 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 an overview of the collections at the CRC along with Alex Ritchie and found that there is a 30 year backlog um, in archive cataloging at the CRC and uh, within that kind of six or seven kilometres of material that we have. So without wanting to bore you for another hour just about things like that, the level of detail within the cataloging makes a difference. For example, you know, sometimes it's just a box listing is a certain level of cataloging, whereas that deeper level with all the fields um, is something that would come later. But even though we have a 30 year backlog, we're actually doing uh, way better than lots of other places. Or what I should say is that's not unusual to have such a backlog. And in many places, it's it's much more. And I think it's important to be honest and open about those backlogs, because often archivists uh, feel the kind of tedium of the uh, or the mountain of work in front of them across their careers and they can feel that weight as a very personal thing and actually there's no you know there's no kind of superhuman uh, time busting skills that we have it takes a, a measured considerate sit down over time and catalog the material and so uh, the more people know how long it takes the better i think and the kind of more improvements we can make on our on our uh, backlogs mm. I was enormously impressed, uh, impressed by all three of the interns and so relieved that they had such specific expertise in their own areas as well. So I knew that their good quality information and good quality stories were being recorded and and highlighted. And that was almost like one task that I then didn't have to do, which I was delighted by. So I found that they produced such a sense of confidence that the data would be good, that I just let them fly with it and said, go go forth and prosper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's so Im important when you see people caring about about the jobs that they're undertaking. It's, it's one of the ways that these underrepresented people are, are going to be represented. Mm -hmm. So that's it. I am really grateful to you, Lily, for asking me to do this, which is a great exercise. 
and <laughs> good practice for me because I'm going to have to start talking a lot more in my new role than I've ever done before. <laughs> mm, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, don't be so, like, I'm so grateful for you to take all this time to, to do it and put it all on record. It's really nice. Good. good. I think, I think one of these things is, and actually I touched on it with um, Samantha as well, people don't know how to start these conversations and they're too scared of saying something wrong so mm -hmm. they just don't say anything and I'm I would like to think that bringing these things up I know that there's people out there that are just as interested in in talking about these things or you know starting somewhere or will potentially understand archives more as a result of it I think you know you're you're absolutely right that's that's exactly it and I think that makes me feel better about my own nervousness then as well because I'm I'm a fairly confident talker but there's something about the thorny issues of archives that feels really nerve-wracking sometimes and and really emotional I don't know what it is but um I think I often think it's the weight of other people thinking you know, could they do a better job and are you making the right decisions so you're always alert to the scrutiny of uh, people who mm -hmm. don't you know directly with connections and you hope you're doing the right things but you, I tell you what we we usually are <laughs> <laughs> and we just say so ourselves <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like what you're saying about disposing of things I think people are so scared that you know it's something that you can't go back on but you know that doesn't mean that these decisions don't have to be made yeah and I was really conscious even saying that because you wouldn't believe the the vehemence, the anger that people come to us with and they realise that anything goes in the bin. Like how dare we put, um, you know, bordered paper, like I was saying, in the bin. Maybe a, a little school wants that or an art class or whatever it is. And of course, if something has any value, we try and we try and do that. But also time wise, we can't have, I suppose, like jumble sales with archives and things like that. We just sometimes have to get on with the work. But it's the reason I know I'm 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 a good archivist is because I feel I feel that I feel that responsibility to make sure it's not in any way valuable or useful because it, it actually pains me to destroy anything from an archive. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe that's to do with my art, uh, background in art as much as anything else, because I can see that anything could be interesting to someone or or valuable to someone. And so trying to make those really cutthroat decisions if you're at ease with cut with cutthroat decisions you're the wrong person to be doing appraisal <laughs> you know it should be quite hard in many ways mm. yeah yeah same as the sort of thing of you know if you're not nervous to kind of start big projects or something like that or if you stop becoming nervous then something might have gone wrong because yeah. you always should be it's a good thing <laughs> yeah um one of the kind of uh, scary moments for us, I think, with this particular project was the fact that it's so high profile and it's in the media and there's a lot of political um, toing and froing as well about how to handle these issues. So because it's such a new uh, way of working for us and as I said, we're data gathering at this really early stage and we're asking specific questions that we think are right, but we're not sure. Then it's important that people feel that they're able to work on it without um, it being scrutinised by people who don't understand the complexity of, 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 of the work. So mm -hmm. I was very, and still am very protective of, of everyone working on the project to make sure that they they don't 
feel exploited or assessed publicly. Yeah, despite the kind of differences between the three projects, it really is all about accessibility and future conversations and open, yes, opening it up to the research community and the students, but also the wider community as well. Yes, and I think in terms of the research, I think, I, I don't know about your projects, but certainly we've been trying to ensure that it's not just about subjugation, subordination and prejudice. We're wanting to try and get these really positive narratives out there as well. We don't want to kind of get rid of culture, traditions and dialect. We're wanting to really ensure that we we have to acknowledge that, but we the kind of um, oppression, but we really need to ensure that we're getting these kind of positive stories that um, students can either relate to as well. So that has kind of been a key goal for us as, as well. I mean, mostly what we've had to try and do is kind of built define these connections because the the kind of a prejudice and financial well lucrative financial means of some of these architectural endeavors have not been discussed so that's kind of been our the majority of our work but it's also kind of important ensuring that we're trying to reach as many different audiences as possible i was wondering i mean this this project the crc has been talking about the fact that this is the very early stages of something that's going to continue for years and is hopefully a, a decade long project. Do you have any kind of advice for hypothetical future interns on how to maybe like pick up where you left off? Um, I, I think definitely approach this uh, in terms of like the database that we have created. Take this by a theme by theme basis and I think don't keep keep an open mind don't kind of take um research methodologies that you kind of have ingrained from other courses or research projects you've got to really be flexible because uh, you're not really sure what you're going to expect i think as well just utilizing as many sources as you can national records is an absolute must in terms of the variety of sources but also just form really good communication with your archivists um, I mean I had Lorraine and the, their specialist knowledge is really really important in terms of being able to really get into the depths of the archive and really picking out quite uh, niche but important things that could open a completely an, a, another door completely I think things we've said is kind of maybe something that our archive could work on is certainly maybe research guides for kind of students and scholars of this period, because I think we came into contact with so many unexpected hurdles. You've got things like um, in terms of accessibility, but you've also got things of what's deemed a miscellaneous source, what's deemed an important source. So in terms of kind of notions of colonial archives and things like that and colonial information. I think also one of the main things I would say is take everything you read with a pinch of salt. Don't trust every, everything, question everything. Some of these descriptions <laughs> in these documents have not been updated at all. Um, mm -hmm. So they, as I've kind of mentioned, is that they do need a kind of updated, a kind of a biographical context alongside its historical context. 
as a result, there may be kind of, um, particularly for things like if it's press related or if it's government papers, there may be a slight agenda. So treat everything you read with a pinch of salt and basically just read. Read as much as you possibly can outside. Read secondary material, read primary material. The more and more you read, the more complicated your narrative's going to be. But I personally think complicated means accurate and complicated is good. And that's kind of the 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 process that I've been following is simple is not good enough. It doesn't make sense and it probably means that there's something missing. I mean, thank you for speaking to me for so long about everything. I was thinking before we kind of wrap up, I was wondering, is there, what, based on the fact that there's likely to be more people on, on the project that you've started working on and working with this data that you've done a lot of base work on. Do you have any advice for some of these hypothetical interns in the future? Certainly. So I, I have a wish for them. I hope that they're not working in the, the pandemic conditions that I've been working in. So they get to get to go into the archives more because that will be, that's the next step is mm -hmm. um, my, my advice for them is to, to take this information that we have produced and to to go into the archives and to to get their hands dirty with with actually looking at these sources and being able to tick the boxes on if they're related if they're not related and then that that's really the the next that's the juncture we're at now is that's the next step that um that in our research we we weren't able to get to just because there was so much to do with what we did with what we had and so that's my advice is to to get excited about getting your hands dirty and getting and getting into the sources that that we had listed as potentially related Nice, yeah. This concludes the seven-part series created on Project One of the University Histories Internships, which began at the Centre for Research Collections in July 2021. Thank you to all the listeners who joined us on this journey. As we suggested previously, we encourage anyone who is interested in these topics to get in touch with Voice and keep the conversation going. Similar to volunteering with the CRC, we recommend keeping an eye on social media and the UniTemps website if you're interested in interning with the university collections. Announcements will be made when interns are being hired with instructions on how to apply. As the Information Services Group focuses on hiring from the student cohort, internship positions often occur over the summer in between the academic year, but new opportunities are arriving all the time. Voice wants to thank the guests, Lorraine McLaughlin, Ashlyn Cudney and Samantha Carey for their time and consideration of all the questions posed to them. We wish Lorraine all the best with her work in Dublin, Ashing with her PhD, and Samantha with their Masters. Voice also hopes that in the not too distant future, there'll be updates to bring you on the progress of the University Histories Project. You've been listening to We've Got History. These episodes were recorded in December 2021 and March 2022. This was part of episode nine. The guests were Lorraine McLaughlin, Ashlyn Cudney and Samantha Carey. Episode hosted and edited by Lily Mellon. 